I have heard about Linwood Wesleyan Church for a long, long time, and have been to Sioux Falls in various places through the years as a, a person who worked for the headquarters of the Wesleyan Church for a long time. One of my district superintendents, he wasn't my first district superintendent, but one of my, one of my district superintendents was Dr. Steve Emery, who pastored here years and years ago. And so I felt like I was connected with Linwood, uh, knowing him and working with him in the kingdom. Really am delighted to know your pastor and his family and meet some of them here today. Pastor Mark has been to our campus at Oklahoma Wesleyan this year. In the middle of all the shutdown, they let him out of South Dakota to come to Oklahoma for a couple of days. We're grateful for that. And also for Pastor Zach and his engagement uh, with us and uh, just feel so much at home uh, being here with you today. Some of you are alums of the university. Some of you are uh, interested in the university. Some of you have uh, also served on our board of trustees. Dr. Chet Whitney has been a board member of ours uh, for a long, long time and looking forward to trying to get to know uh, and see him again today, he and Dee. And uh, also one of our uh, spouses of faculty uh, had the last name of Maydew, if you remember that, Brianna Maydew, now Brianna McNall, one of our theologian, uh, pro theology professors, uh, uh, Josh McNall is there. So anyway, lots of things happening. You know, they say the world is six relationships away from knowing everybody. In the Wesleyan Church, it's about one and a half, all right? So anyway, we'd be glad to interact with you out in the lobby and uh, share with you a little bit more. One of the things that I do before I'm going to preach, so here's the commercial, you ready? They didn't ask if I could do this. I didn't ask if I could do this either. So anyway, one of the things that we do everywhere we go is we give out a prayer card. And we would cover your prayers as a university. The university is growing. It is something where we're continually trying to innovate. We were on ground and in person all year long so far. I get a report just about every day about how many cases of the pandemic of the virus we have and how many people are in isolation or shut down, whatever you want to call it. But we've been privileged to be able to be open and, and on ground and in person, having spectators at our sports teams that don't like to wear masks, just like I don't like to wear masks and all that stuff going on. But well, we give out a prayer card. There's some at the back as you go out near the offering plates. And uh, just simply is something that you could join online. There's a monthly report that comes out from my office as well at the first of the month. And there's over 1,000 people. Last week it was 1,014. So two years ago I was elected president of the university, having never worked for a university before in my life. Did you catch that? You need to wake up your neighbor just for a second. Never done this before. But it felt compelled to do it, felt called to do it. Wendy and I both went to college there. They were looking for a president after a retirement, and uh, somebody asked if I would consider it. There were 19 candidates. I was the only one that had never worked for a university before. What were they thinking? But here we are, and we know we're called there, and we're learning a lot and uh, striving to do our best. But the day after I was elected, now I was praying before, for those of you who might say, hey, but the math doesn't add up here for a second. I was praying before going into it, and I dropped to my knees the day after I was elected, realizing I didn't know what I was doing, which is still the case, by the way, just in case you're wondering, and prayed two prayers. They've become a thing. There's a prayer card. Those two prayers are, God, would you send us what we need? And God, would you do your supernatural work in us and through us every day? Those are the two prayers. I don't know what I need. I didn't need a pandemic. I can tell you that. Neither did you. And that God would do his supernatural work, that he would do what only he can do. I'm limited. Are you? We're gifted, 
but we're limited in our ability. And I want to get what God wants. I want what God can do, even in the midst of higher education, Christian higher education, and striving to be all that we can be for Christ. So if you'd like to join that or even check it out, there's a website you can go to, a little prayer card that's blue on one side and white and red on the other side. Well, we're glad to be here. It's great to have Wendy here with me as well. And uh, we drove up through Kansas, all of it, and through Nebraska, all of it, and came up Friday and met with some folks in Brookings yesterday, and we're glad to be here today. Now, they asked me to preach, so enough of that. You ready? There is a gospel message about Palm Sunday that you may think is too familiar, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we've been through Palm Sunday before, and we know, waving palm branches. And back in the day, we would have children march through the sanctuary and whatever, and all those traditions, and those are great. And I remember waving palm branches and hitting my friend on the head in front of me with my palm branch just to get him going. But anyway, I want to point you to the scriptures today in Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their coats on the road and while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Can you say that phrase with me? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you try that one? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Are you ready? Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Lord, we are your people in your house. We are watching perhaps digitally this morning all over the world. And we ask, Lord, that you will speak to us. We've come in a certain way. Help us to go home changed by you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosanna. We are saved. Hosanna. We are saved. Lots of confusion around Palm Sunday. The Passover is beginning and it's right for emperors or kings to enter into the capital city. There is one that we read about here, but perhaps even another one that might have been happening across town. Some scholars have written about the fact that this would be the exact time frame if not even maybe the exact moment, we don't really know because it's not in Scripture, that Pilate, the emperor of Rome, would have been coming into this particular place as well. 
and that he would be coming in with all the pomp and circumstance, all of the red carpet spread out for him, all of the stallion horses, kind of like Clydesdales perhaps, coming in, all of the soldiers in all of their garb coming in. On the other side of town, the emperor or the Roman ruler of the day would have been coming in as king of the people. And this particular season called Passover was when the Jewish slaves would remember that they were set free. And it made the Romans nervous. Sometimes when you think about what Jesus did in Passion Week and when he came into the holy city on Palm Sunday and people didn't have red carpet and they didn't have horses dressed out in their chains and, and, and clinking bridles. They didn't have the Roman soldier's gear and the leather that might have been squeaking down the road as they walked in those tight garments of, uh, that, a, that a soldier would be wrapped in. They just simply grabbed what they could. They grabbed their coats, they grabbed the palm branches that they saw, and they tried to lay out their own red carpet for the king of kings, even though the other ruler was coming in on the other side of town. I think sometimes when we get into Palm Sunday, we think, well, that's great. God came to save all those people that need to be saved. And I would love for you to not just look across town, but that if you would look in your own heart and your own life and realize that God has a message for us today on this Palm Sunday, that Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that all who believe in him as the King of kings and Lord of lords will be saved. Amen? Let's look at it. What does it mean? First of all, Hosanna means to deliver, to offer freedom, to get you out of captivity, to get you out of and deliver you from something that binds you, something that oppresses you. And it is a message for us today both sinner and saint, that we would realize what we're saved from, what we are delivered from. The word literally means, please save. Please deliver. Hosanna. And that's what they were thinking. And that's what they were saying. And that's what they were shouting as they waved their branches and even put coats on a foal of a donkey and put coats on the ground, perhaps, as the scriptures say, that they were welcoming this king to be probably a military king, but Jesus was coming to be the king of the universe to set all people free, mostly from sin. Are you ready? What does he save us from? What does he save us from? The first thing that Jesus comes to Jerusalem and to us today is to save us from sin. We are saved from sin. Now, I've grown up in the Wesleyan Arminian tradition all of my life. I was born on a Friday and I was in church on Sunday. There weren't any tests that you had to do for two or three days to a baby. Apparently they thought I was healthy enough coming in at 11 pounds and said, off he goes. And you were sent home with your mother. My mother was actually very ill. I'm the youngest of six, all of us still in the church today. But regardless, I've been around this stuff for a long, long time to know that sometimes, sometimes in certain theological traditions, there are some that will say, that message isn't for me because I'm already saved. I, I, I have been cleansed from sin. 
And there is nothing that's wrong with the doctrine of holiness, and there's nothing that's wrong with the doctrine of sanctification, and that you can have victory over sin. But sometimes we just need kind of an inward lens. We need an inward look, perhaps, to take a look and see if there's any wicked way in me. Now, there are other traditions that might say, ah, to an extreme, all sin and word, thought, and deed every day, and it really doesn't matter. I'm saved, and I'm ready to go, and I can do whatever I want. Both of those extremes are not a biblical doctrine of what it means to be saved from sin. Well, what is this talking about? When Jesus comes to deliver, when, when we say, Hosanna, when the crowd in the city says, who is this? What's going on in a passage like this that, that we think is just the beginning of Holy Week, perhaps, but so much doctrine, so much power going on with Jesus coming in on the opposite side of Pilate coming into the same city. We're saved from sin. And that should be something where we too gather and welcome the Lord and go ahead of him and follow behind him and lay everything down for him. What does that mean that he saves us from our sins? It means that Jesus still forgives sin today. He still delivers us from sin, even from the habit of sin. And for one time in my life, maybe it's been yours, you might hear a message like this and you'd say, that's not me. I'm already saved. That's for somebody else. That's for the opposite side of town, whatever it is. That, that pilot guy, he's the one that needs that. All the government leaders, they're the ones that need that. I, I'm the one that is the righteous cloth, the righteous remnant of Jerusalem. I mean, come on. I'm the righteous cloth, the righteous remnant of Sioux Falls. Come on. Jesus still forgives sin. Amen? You're awake this morning, amen? He still forgives sin. Well, it kind of depends what kind of sin you're talking about, Jim. Every sin. What about the unpardonable sin? There is one that the scriptures would say, if you blaspheme against God, if you give the devil credit for God's work and you die in that station of life, that sin is unforgivable. But every other sin in all of the universe is forgivable by the sacrifice and even the entry of Jesus Christ into that person's life. And if I don't believe that, then what if my sin wasn't in that number? What if my sin wasn't applied in that way? What if, what if my sin was too great? As if to look to somebody else and say, well, my sin wasn't as bad as theirs, but, but he's forgiven me. I, I'm not sure about theirs. Be careful. Jesus is in the business of forgiving sin. You say, well, it's not just that easy. Well, actually, it is. When we repent, when we desire to turn from our wicked ways, when we call on the name of the Lord and ask him, just like on Palm Sunday, we don't say Hosanna anymore usually, but when we say, Lord, would you deliver me from this sin? Would you deliver me from this particular bent of going away from you? Would you help me to repent? Would you help me to turn around if that's the way of sin and this is the way of the cross, that I would turn my back on sin and truly repent and be changed by you, even to use the word change transformed. We are saved from sin. But here's what happens in American Christianity. You ready? 
God gets a hold of our lives. Maybe we attend church. Maybe you even watch it online, and we're headed in the sin direction, and God gets a hold of us, and we say, hey, thank you for forgiving my sin. I've turned to you, and I really appreciate the fact that maybe by the time you get to Minneapolis, you could give me a warning, and then I could get to Sioux Falls and Linwood Wesleyan, and I could pray a sinner's prayer again and be forgiven. But I've got some other things I want to do. I want to turn around. Listen, Christianity is not meant to be a ballerina and do a pirouette all the time. Christianity is to repent of sin that Jesus saves us from and head in a completely new transformed direction. We're saved from sin. We're not supposed to be continually in this circle of I think I'm saved, but I still have this sin nature in me. What else are we saved from when it comes to sin and Jesus delivering us? Jesus delivers us from the effects of sin. The effects of sin. We're not just saved from sin, but the effects of sin. Jesus saves us even from the curse of sin. If it's something that you would consider, it's not the only reason you would consider repenting and and turning your life around and, and asking God to change you and transform you and doing that not in your own power, but in God's power. If it's not just for you, think about the generations that come behind you. That the curse of sin would be broken in your legacy, in your lineage. Now, it's their decision as well. Nobody goes to heaven on grandma and grandpa's coattails, you understand. They need to repent as well. But what if that godly influence could start with you? It started with my family on my great-great-grandfather's side. His name was Samson. He was 48 years old when he gave his life to Christ. And he, not creating the golden chain of other traditions, but he started to live the example. The day before he was saved, he literally had a man by his throat. It was a sharecropper in southern Indiana. Had him by his throat and was ready to kill him. He thought he was uh, flirting with his wife named Rosie and was ready to kill this guy. The farmhands grabbed him off of him. They told him he needed to get right with God, which was true. He was full of hatred, full of sin, and he went to a Methodist circuit ride meeting out in the woods the next day and gave his life to Christ and came home and took Rosie, his wife, on his knee and said a statement that has marked our family, even though we have to claim it personally and we have to repent personally. It doesn't make us better than anybody else, but I'm thankful for that family member named Samson who took Rosie on his knee and said this, from today on, our family will be different. Your family can be different because of the curse of sin being destroyed, because of the effects of sin being destroyed. Let me help you with something. Sometimes, in, at least in our circles, perhaps I've been around the world in our church, and, and I've noticed this. We're a little bit scared. We're a little bit scared in the Wesleyan tradition, perhaps, to talk about what someone might call spiritual warfare. To know that when you're taking ground for Christ, when a family turns themselves to Christ, when a person is transformed by Christ, you can bank on it, you can guarantee it, the devil's not happy. The devil might have been happy across town when Pilate came in, but he wasn't happy when Jesus came in. And he's still not happy about it. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we say that the Lord saves. We don't save ourselves, which we'll get to in a second. Jesus loves you so much that he came into Jerusalem 
to die for you and to forgive you of your sin. Jesus saves from sin, and you can call on his name anytime, and the devil has to flee. That's just good Bible, folks. That's not anything you should be afraid of. What else does he save us from? He saves us from self. He saves us from ourselves. You know, one of the biggest sins, people are debating this all of 2020. What's the biggest sin? They want to make it about an election, perhaps, which that's definitely something you should talk about. They want to make it about something that maybe, maybe America is being cursed. Well, this was a global pandemic, not just an American pandemic for, for us that, you know, haven't really realized that. One of the biggest sins that's happening in our life today is the sin of following self instead of following God. I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, and however I want, and forget you. It really doesn't matter. It does matter. Everything that you do, everything that I do matters to somebody. Somebody's watching. Somebody's looking. And we are preconditioned over and over and over again in our lives to realize that somehow, someway, we have a voice. We do have a vote, and we should use those appropriately. But when we come in front of Almighty God, or we go over Almighty God, or we even judge the text of God, the sacred truth of God, we are at that point in time in a position of insubordination, a position of sin thinking that we are greater than God. I, I've been fascinated in this past year. People have asked me, you know, what do you think is going on? Jim, what do you think is going on? You know, when you get elected to a fancy position and a fancy title, people think you know something. So here we are, people asking me all the time, what do you think about the pandemic? And it's terrible. What do you think about wearing masks? I hate them. I can't breathe. Look at me. I'm just trying to, I, my mouth's wide open underneath that thing trying to get a breath in. Well, don't you think it's a conspiracy? I have no idea. I had somebody coming into our campus. We had a mask mandate. You can judge me later if you want. Just pray for us, okay? We're shooting darts in the dark on this thing, but we've been able to stay open and on ground. But here we are in a mask mandate. I had a person come in with his son to visit the campus. I visit with prospective families and students as much as I can. And uh, he came in right in the middle of my spiel. And he said, hey, are you a Democrat? I said, why? He said, well, you have a mask on. Now, I'm a little bit of a smart aleck, so I had my mask on. I did. I had it on, and I took it off, and I turned it around. And I said, it doesn't say Democrat. I'm pretty sure he's, he's not sending his son to our school after this exchange. But regardless, it was a little off-putting. But, you know, I went on and carried on, and they left. And 30 minutes later, a mom came in with her son from Denver checking out the school. And uh, we went through the thing and went through my speech, and they were leaving my office. And she turned around and said, hey, thanks for wearing a mask. I said, oh, you're welcome. She said, we need more good Republicans like you out there that'll comply to things. Within 30 minutes, I didn't know what party I belonged to. I need to know what an independent thinks. There's one common thread, at least maybe two in this year. Everybody has an opinion. I'm going to say it. You ready? Nobody knows what they're talking about. Okay, maybe it's just me. I have no idea what I'm I know what's going on. I don't. Maybe you can inform me out in the lobby afterwards. Is God in charge of your life or are you? Jesus saves from self. We need to let that sink in for a while. No, I am the king of my life. I control my days. 
I'm self-made. Really? How's that going? You really created yourself. Interesting. You hold every idea of what your identity is. That's amazing. For those of you who don't understand satire, I'm in the middle of it right now. You're, you're phenomenal. You're terrific. You are in God's eyes. But until you reckon with the fact that you are not self-made and that everything you might do according to the, the Apostle Paul is compared to cow manure, literally. For those of you who like the King James, dung. Not my last name, dung, but dung, D-U-N-G. Until we get in that place of submission and realize that we are nothing without God, but through him all things are possible. Until we get into that kind of posture, we are committing the sin of worshiping ourselves. Think about it. Jesus came to deliver you from yourself. Came to deliver all of Jerusalem and all of the world who think that they can make up the rules, who think that they're self-made, who think that they can define God for what is best, who can become deistic judges, if you will, and just like the parts of Scripture that we like and then, and then extract the parts of Scripture that we don't like. Who's in charge today? We say God's in charge. Do we live that way? Be careful. Be careful. I know, Pastor Mark, I know. I didn't come in soft, soft pedals today. I know. I might be leaving after the 9 o'clock service, too. I have no, Somebody might be preaching online at 1030. I'm not sure. You all right? I came from a line where my grandfather would say that, that preaching was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You okay? Just checking. Just checking midstream. Here we go. The world will even tell you today, think about this in our culture, that your body is something that you own. God gave you that body, and he created it in a certain way. You might self-identify as something else, but God does not look at you that way. And he loves you, and he came to deliver you from self. Think about that. Hosanna. We need a Savior, mostly from ourselves. God, please deliver me from myself. Could be an applicable prayer today. We're saved from stuff. We're saved from sin. We're saved from self. We're, we're saved from stuff. Anybody have any stuff out there? You know, possessions, maybe even status. What brings you the most joy in life? Now, I've taken on a new title in the last couple of years. That title is Grandpa. I know pretty good for looking 30, huh? Grandpa, two-year-old Abraham, one-year-old, actually six months old, Joel, grandson's name. My only issue is they live in Delaware. I live in Oklahoma. That's a great title. I've had other titles, how about you, that bring great joy to me. I've had the joy of being husband. I had the joy of being pastor, being uh, president, being leader, being servant. You know what the greatest title is you could ever have? It's to be a son or a daughter of the king. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, that I could have that kind of title, that, that God gives me the right, according to John 1, to be the son or the daughter of God. He saves us from our stuff. Too many of us are living for stuff. When I was a young pastor, my grandfather had pastored for a long time in Wesleyan and Nazarene churches all over the place, and, and he would come to me and he'd say, now, now, Jim, when you do a funeral, at least in the Midwest, they're going to march you out of the funeral parlor, out of the church, you're going to lead the casket. I know it's a little bit morbid, but just hang on, there's a point to it. You ready? And he said, you know, I want you to look at something. I want you to look and see on the back of a hearse. I want you to see if there's a hitch on a hearse. He'd say there's no hitch on a hearse. Now, I had a little bit of an issue. My grandfather was already in heaven, and, and I found a hearse that had a hitch on it in one funeral because the funeral director would uh, literally cart his or tow his boat to the lake on the weekend with the hearse. I'm not kidding you. So he did have a hitch on a hearse. My grandfather's point was, you're not taking anything with you. Why are you worshiping your stuff? He said, oh, you're one of those pastors that wants everything, huh? No, I'm not a pastor that wants everything. I'm not even a president that wants everything. I am a son and daughter of God that knows that Jesus gave me everything and everything is his. And we, just like palm branches, should lay everything down to ask him to enter into our lives and deliver us. Deliver us even from our stuff. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from self. He delivers us from stuff. He delivers us from separation. He's come to be at one with us the way that we were created to be. We were made to be loved by God and to love God most of all. When you or if you receive communion this week, would you let that reality and that grace ooze into your life this week? That I was created to be at one with God. Wow. That, that the master of the universe would love me so much that he wants a relationship with me. Wow. That, that, that the king of kings, not, not the ruler of the day, would come in on the opposite side of town on Palm Sunday and that he would come humbly in on a donkey to save my life. And that he, without much fancy fanfare, would be shouted that he's the one that truly could deliver. That he's the one that would always go to the cross for me. That he's the one that would give everything, including his body, for me. And that his blood would be spilled so that I could be forgiven and my sins washed away for all of eternity. That kind of Jesus has come to you today to save you and to be at one with you. Think about that. If that doesn't put bumps on your goose, your goose isn't bumpable. I'm just here to tell you. Think about that. As you go through Passion Week, Holy Week, whatever you'd like to call it, you head into Easter, you think about Spy Wednesday, you think about the Last Supper happening on Thursday, you think about the cross happening on Good Friday, you think about Dark Saturday where the earth is silent, and then you think about the resurrection tomb opening on Sunday morning. That's the Jesus that came and said, I have come even on Palm Sunday to save you. When will you respond? Think about this year of 
isolation, separation, not being able to connect, not being able to have birthday parties and graduations and weddings even to attend a funeral. Think about not being able to eat together. Jesus transcends all of that and says, you have the opportunity to never be separated from me. What a gift. What grace. What a privilege to be able to give that away to somebody else. In heaven, there is no separation. Even with the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we celebrate on Pentecost, not on Palm Sunday, but on Pentecost, that that Jesus has come and that he's come again through his Spirit as Jesus, after the resurrection, ascends into heaven 40 days later. And then at the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon those early disciples and that they then know that God is with us through his Spirit. There is no separation. You may feel isolated today. You may feel isolated today at home. There's no separation when you're in a relationship with Jesus. You know why? Because he has come to save you. He has come to deliver you. He's come to deliver all who believe. But it's not just for us. It's for all of them across town, wherever that is for you. What if Holy Week was Wow Week? Now let me give you some context. When I was a little kid, I was fourth grade. Fourth grade. I was a pastor's kid. There was a song, I think it was a Christmas song in the school choir that had the word wow in it. I refused to sing it. I didn't know what the word was. You say, are you that sheltered? Maybe so. But somewhere in the mid-70s, I didn't know what the word wow meant. And I refused to sing it. I got sent to the principal's office because I refused to sing this song or this word in the song. I'd sing every other word. I didn't know what wow meant. And I went home and I told my mother, I got in trouble. And so you're going to get a call from the office. And I was one of those kids. You're right. I might as well tell them now before they get a call. And uh, probably should have done that on other times too. But anyway, I'm going to get, I'm in trouble. I didn't say the word wow. I don't know what it means. And she started to laugh. I didn't know what it meant. It's okay if you don't know what it means. I wanted to clarify with my mother, and she said, you can sing the song. You can sing the word wow. So, in my mother's memory today, what if Holy Week was wow week? Wow. Amazing. Incredible. Unstoppable. That Jesus came to save me, but he came to save everyone. What if What if wow actually meant for us if we do know Christ and are saved and know what it means to be delivered as the worship team comes to join us this morning? What if if wow means week of witness? The week of witness. Do you know, and Pastor Mark didn't put me up to this, you ready? Do you know that most people who are invited to church that already know you will actually come? I don't think that's true. Have you tried it? I've tried everybody. The whole neighborhood? The whole neighborhood. You need to get a bigger neighborhood if that's the case. 
What if it was the week of witness? That I would live like I'm a son or daughter of the king and that I would invite everybody else to come out and greet him and be delivered from our sins. At the university, we give every graduate a penny. I didn't bring any pennies today. I'm pretty sure you could find some unless there's no more coins in South Dakota. I'm not sure. I didn't check here. We give every one of them a penny. Here's what it means. God calls them there, which is what we pray, that God will call students there. And even though we're growing, we need more, and it's not something because we just need it for the money. We want to influence more lives to send them out. Here's what the deal is. The back side of a penny, the tail side of a penny says one cent. So we give our graduates a penny and we tell them to look at that penny every day and do what it says, to be one cent. Go to your neighbors, go to your family members. If they can't be here in person, maybe they could watch Easter online. Maybe it's something that we could definitely not only just realize that Jesus has come to save us, but he's come to save every person. We were the persons across town, remember? We might have been in the parade for Pilate, but now I pray that you're in the parade for Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, please deliver. Hosanna, we are saved. Amen? Amen.